Welcome to the Proper Lookout Podcast, published by the Statutory Insurance Group of McCabe Kerwood. In this series, our CTP experts will discuss a range of topics, sharing their thoughts on an industry trend or an intriguing legal issue, explaining the intricacies of an important case, and hopefully imparting some of the knowledge that they have gained. Hi, my name is Daniel Nastewski. I'm a solicitor working in the statutory insurance team at McCabe Kerwood. I'm joined today by Boris Nikovsky, an associate working across the public liability and statutory insurance teams. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me, Daniel. What are we discussing today? Well, today we'll be grappling with a topic that is both highly fluid and often involves ascertaining the plaintiff's state of mind based upon legal advice he or she received. We'll be discussing the operation of sections 50C and 50D of the Limitation Act. That's a great topic. We were recently involved in successfully defending the case of Pomare v. Hogan in the Supreme Court. Perhaps we should start there. Yes. It's a Supreme Court decision that was handed down at the start of May of this year. In 2012, the plaintiff, Mr. Pomari, was an unrestrained relief driver in a road train driving along the Silver City Highway in Broken Hill. The road train was being driven by the defendant, Mr. Hogan. It was towing two large refrigerated trailers. At about 2 a.m. at night, a black Angus bull weighing 700 kilograms crossed the road into the path of the road train. The defendant tried to swerve to avoid hitting the bull but could not avoid it. On impact, the road train overturned and the plaintiff was ejected from the vehicle. The bull was found deceased some distance away. So I guess the question is, when did the plaintiff sue the owner of the bull? Well, that's the issue. Despite the accident occurring in 2012, the plaintiff didn't commence proceedings against the owner of the bull until 2017, after the limitation period expired. Under Section 50C of the Limitation Act, a plaintiff must commence proceedings within three years after a cause of action is discoverable, otherwise the action is not maintainable. So the bull was tagged and the owner was identified. Why didn't the plaintiff sue the owner of the bull immediately? Well, the plaintiff's pursued a claim under the blameless accident provisions. In 2013, he lodged a personal injury claim form with the assistance of his solicitor. In the claim form, he stated that he understood the owner of the bull admitted to police that he left the gate open. As a result, the bull entered the roadway and caused the collision. The plaintiff then pursued an action against the driver of the vehicle. The plaintiff was concerned that he would not be able to establish that the owner of the bull or the driver of the road train were negligent. As a result, a blameless accident pursued. So the plaintiff knew who owned the bull and that the owner admitted that he left the gate open in his claim form, which is a statutory declaration. But he commenced proceedings some years out of time, following which the defendant pleaded a limitation defence. How did the matter proceed to a determination? The plaintiff saw an early and separate determination of the defendant's limitation defence. The court had to determine when the plaintiff knew or ought to have known of the fault of the owner of the bull, as set out in 50DB of the Limitation Act. Yes, in those circumstances, a defendant bears the onus of proof in establishing that, on the balance of probabilities, the plaintiff knew or ought to have known of the defendant's fault. It requires an investigation, so to speak, to ascertain the plaintiff's state of mind at a certain time. Yes. In the case of Baker Morrison versus the State of New South Wales, Justice Baston stated that a plaintiff will be held to know or ought to have known of the fault of a defendant based upon identifiable facts. So, 
In this case, the documentary evidence suggested that the plaintiff knew who owned the bull and that the owner of the bull left the gate open as early as 2013. Those were, in effect, the identifiable facts. Did the plaintiff give evidence? That was one of the key differences between this case and the other cases concerning the Limitation Act. The plaintiff did not give evidence. Okay, so the court had to determine what the plaintiff's state of mind was solely on documentary evidence. Was the legal advice he received a consideration? The plaintiff claimed privilege over the advices he received from his solicitors. All right, so the plaintiff put the defendant to proof, given it bore the onus. At the same time, he claimed privilege over legal advice he received. So how could the defendant prove that the identified facts were legally actionable, as is the test set out in Gillette? Well, the defendant had to fight for it. He filed a motion seeking access to the privileged documents pursuant to the fairness principle set out in the cases of New South Wales Bar Association versus Archer and Goldberg. Those are very interesting cases. In Archer, Justice Hodgson, with Justice Hanley agreeing, stated that in circumstances where a plaintiff has a positive state of mind, for example, that he did not know of the fault of a defendant at a relevant time, he or she cannot simultaneously claim privilege over the advice received. They held that doing so amounts to inconsistency, sufficient to waive privilege, pursuant to the fairness principle. That's right. Defendants should definitely keep that in mind. It was particularly important in this case because the plaintiff did not give evidence and because he didn't give evidence, the court drew a Jones vs. Dunkel inference, being that the evidence given by the plaintiff would not assist his case. Okay, so the plaintiff did not give evidence, but there was some clear evidence of what the plaintiff knew prior to the date of discoverability. What was the outcome? The court ultimately decided that the plaintiff knew of the fault of the defendant more than three years before he pursued the owner of the bull. It answered the question as yes, and the plaintiff's claim was statute barred. It can be very nuanced. We should say that it is critical that a defendant pursues each and every avenue in trying to obtain sufficient evidence to discharge its onus of proof. This may mean administering interrogatories and seeking an order for discovery. In personal injury matters, a defendant must establish special reasons to do so. Exactly. It is a very, very difficult onus to discharge. A defendant cannot enter the mind of the plaintiff to ascertain what he or she ought to have known at a specific time, particularly in circumstances where the plaintiff does not give evidence. Thanks a lot, Daniel. Thanks, Boris. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Proper Lookout podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more information on anything discussed, please contact Peter Hunt at peter.hunt at or visit our website to see McCabe Kerwood's full team of specialists.